three, two, one. Mariam Big, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. I know. I'm excited. I'm excited. Can you explain to me, first of all, Miss Pakistan, runner-up. Why do you add runner-up in there? Is there a difference? Um, yeah, so first runner-up is technically like second place. So it's mainly a difference of just like half a point. So, yeah. Okay, so what yeah. got you into the pageant world in the first place? Um, well, there were multiple reasons. One, I kind of wanted to like proclaim, like take back my Pakistani-American identity. Uh, I wanted to like show the world like how awesome my culture is. And I also wanted to step out of my comfort zone by joining this like platform, which would enable me to speak in front of like several hundreds of people because I used to be like pretty shy. So I'm like glad I took those steps towards becoming like more outgoing. Well, what made you want to reclaim your identity? What, did you struggle before in, in, in having that identity? Yes, I did. Yeah. In middle school and in the beginning of high school, I was like, I kind of wanted to like dissociate with my identity. Like I didn't want to be known as like the Pakistani girl and I didn't want to be known as the Muslim girl either. Hmm. Why is that? So in middle school, I went to a private Catholic school. And while it was like a great school, um, there were a lot of like like terrorist attacks happening in different parts of the world. And you know how kids are in middle school. They're like crack jokes. They'll like stereotype people. So I had to deal with like a lot of stereotypes and like a lot of racist and Islamophobic jokes like pretty frequently um, because I was like the only Pakistani kid there. And I was also the only Muslim there. So I remember it was my freshman year of high school. And we just moved to Howard County. And I wanted like this new image of myself. Like I wanted to be perceived as something else. Like I didn't want to be perceived as the only Muslim girl, the only Pakistani girl that came from Catholic school, you know? And so I didn't tell anyone anything about myself in regards to religion or ethnic group or race. Um, but I don't know, I guess people just like make assumptions about, you know, you, your religion, your race. And I remember sixth period uh, I had English class at the end of the day and there were you know a bunch of guys in my class and a lot of them we had like a huge friend group but you know how like some kids are like immature and whatnot so they'll make like slightly offensive jokes um anyways I remember at the end of the day there was this kid who had a speaker and he would always play like music or like random noises from like memes to be like funny at the end of the day and stuff so I remember the bell rang it was like 2.10, 2.15, and we were walking outside, and they had their speaker, and they had, like, a bunch of, like, meme noises and whatnot, and then all of a sudden, um, I hear, like, terrorist noises or whatnot, the quote-unquote, like, Allah Akbar, like, you know, stereotype, like, you know, God is great and whatnot, and I hear that, uh, followed by, like, a series of, like, explosions, and it, it was just, like, it was super loud, by the way, because this is, like, a Bluetooth speaker. It was a pretty large one, too, but it was portable, and I remember I was in the hallway with one other of uh, my girlfriends and we were walking and the sound just kept getting louder and louder. And like I started walking away because I was like, what is this? Like, you know, I don't want anything to do with this sound because like I know like, you know, people like automatically associate like brown looking people with like, you know, terrorist attacks. And I remember I kept walking faster and faster towards like the exit of the school and the noise was just following me like the sounds and whatnot and so I see like everyone in the hallway turned around and they're looking at me and they're like what like what why are you making all that noise and I was like what do you mean 
And so I see like a bunch of kids laughing. Like there was this one guy who was one of my friends, his face like turned bright red from laughter. Like he was just having like the time of his life laughing. And I kept asking my friend, like, can you help me? Like, what is that noise? Like, did someone put something on me? And so she found out that it was coming from my backpack. So I like turned around, I took my backpack off and I saw they put the speaker in my backpack while it was playing those like terrorists and like explosion noises. And so I was just like super humiliated. I was like, how did they know I'm Pakistani? How did they know I'm Muslim? Like I've tried so hard to conceal that part of my identity. And it was just, it was kind of traumatizing. So that was like, I, I know that happened around like the first two months of ninth grade so I was like okay I don't want to be associated with religion or culture especially if people are going to associate me with like terrorist noises you know Jeez. yeah I'm glad you shared that there were five guys involved and only like four of them apologized only four of them received punishment too that is yeah it's heavy I mean that just comes to show you right like they've They've taught us, that, and and I love that the outcome was that you now have Miss Pakistan USA <laughs> on you. Yeah, right. Is you didn't let them win, mm-hmm. and that's that's what we got to make sure we don't let we can't let them win. And what I mean by win is is that they mentally get to us like they they get to us as a person. That if if you would they would have won if you as Maryam decided to go the rest of your life always hiding that you're pakistani always hiding that you're muslim Mm -hmm. and removing yourself from Mm -hmm. your ethnicity that's when they would have won yeah but they just lost right because you didn't do that and uh, you know there was this uh, other episode uh, that uh, that relates to this is that they've just done such a good job of making us hate ourselves like we we even to this day i have a difficult time not hating my culture and my people um just because of the things and the values and the the subliminal messages throughout the years that we've gotten that have just resided in us that make us go everything about the east is backwards and everything about the west is is love and progression and everything that's great in the world and it's kind of hard to remove yourself from that psyche let alone for westerners to remove themselves from that psyche uh, i don't know where how do you th- how did you kind of I guess, how did you win? Like, what what had to happen? What kind of what what kind of um, conversations did you have in your mind afterwards, following those events that led you to be like, no, this is me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna own my identity. So honestly, it was super gradual. Like, it definitely happened over the years. Like, I remember in tenth grade, I actually started listening to like cultural music because I made friends with this one girl that was um, a bit more cultured than I was at the time. And when I started listening to the music, I started watching music videos and I just started talking to my mom and I was like, this is so cool. Like, I want to learn Urdu. I want to learn more languages and um, I want to learn more about my religion because there were certain cultural aspects that she would tell me like, oh, like this is a part of our religion. This isn't. And so I think that and then I would say going to Sunday school definitely helped as well. Um, you know, just discussing like controversial topics and whatnot. So, well, so what, once that situation happened, like you you mentioned that you were like, I don't want anything to do with Pakistan even more. Mm-hmm. I don't want anything to do with Islam even more. What then happened within you that went no, like that's that's not the route we're gonna go. 
we are going to want Pakistan. We are going to want Sam. Um, like I said, I think it was just, I was definitely allured in by like the, I don't know, by like the clothes, the music, the jewelry in my culture. And I was like, wow, like my culture, my country is actually beautiful. And I want to show that to the world, you know, like we're not terrorists. We're not um, barbaric or whatever, you know. Um, and then I just started watching a lot of more documentaries as well, historical, um, current stuff about like the scenery in Pakistan. Um, it's actually a really beautiful country too. And I was like, I want to make a documentary when I go there. Like I want to do something so that I can be associated with Pakistan, you know? And then I heard about this pageant. I was, I was like, okay, well this could be like my, you know, like my chance. Hmm. So it was a friend friendship and the knowledge yeah that got you out of that that's those are the that's the key right there Mm -hmm. your environment and and going back and learning more rather than choosing to remain ignorant and still hating oneself yeah and it's interesting because my friend she was actually indian and non-muslim yet she somehow like introduced me to my culture because there's you know what it was i think it was just i think she in i think what you'd liked was her vibe of that she was confident in herself. Yeah. Like, you were like, huh. It's a different culture, but she loves hers. Yeah. I, that's always resonated with me, too. Sorry, but what were you going to say? But, yeah, I was just going to say, like, there are a lot of similarities, too, with, like, music, like, Indian songs and Pakistani songs. So I definitely say that, like, definitely helped our friendship blossom as well. Hmm. What's the pageant world like? What's the pageant world like, especially in the... In the view of a Muslim, in the perspective of a Muslim woman, because the pageant world has different, let's say, morals or standards mm-hmm. that than I would say Islam uh, may uh, promote. So this was actually my first time participating in a pageant or anything similar to this. Um, I know there is like a lot of criticism and a lot of like connotations and this kind of like conflation that pageants are just like you're displaying yourself you're displaying your body and I know a lot of um, Pakistanis or Muslims that have approached me saying that but it's actually not that so my main goal in the pageant was actually to grab the platform to talk about my medical missions and causes and I like basically the whole reason I succeeded through that pageant it wasn't because of my dresses or how I looked my appearance it was because of my qualities my ability to talk about my medical mission my goal in helping others and my intelligence and my brains Hmm. so you're saying the pageant has taken more of a uh, direction towards mind and intelligence and education than just beauty and looks yes yes because even when i was looking at the pageant photos you posted i mean you weren't sitting there like wearing bikinis or stuff like that Mm -hmm. it was just dresses yes yeah i was wearing my cultural traditional clothes i even wore dubatta like which is um, a head covering i even wore a head covering because that's like with pakistani um identity i wore that for the talent round when i painted the pakistani flag and so there is this like um assumption that pageant girls have to go up there and dance or they have to do stuff that's quote-unquote immodest but like that's not true you can one girl gave a speech you can give a speech you can talk about your passions you don't have to do like the stereotypical stuff you know and we've even had a hijabi win before so it's not just about showing your body showing your hair did it work going into pageantry did it actually help you feel yes. like you gained your identity yes. back? Yes. You were empowered again? Yes. So I actually got invited to way more Pakistani events. Uh, people that I know in high school that would kind of like make faces when I told them I was Pakistani, they would like congratulate me. And I, I would say it helped me 
gain a platform to talk about my like medical missions, my cultural missions, the missions I want to do in Pakistan for Pakistani victims of acid attacks and bomb blasts. So I would say it helped me like reclaim my identity because now I'm like proud to tell everyone I'm Pakistani and there's no hesitation there anymore. Yeah, because you're Miss Pakistan, yeah. you said. <laughs> yeah. You're, how, how could you? So why, why acid victims? Is, is there specifically an issue in Pakistan, do you think, with yes. acid attacks? Yeah, so it actually happens in Pakistan, India, and I know in parts of Russia, as well but I know there are a lot of times when a woman will refuse a marriage or even just like a man's like unwanted advances and he'll feel like rejected so he'll throw acid on her it's kind of like an if I can't have you no one can type of mentality and we need to sh- I like I want to work with acid attack victim women because I want to show them that like I want to help them counsel them and tell them like I'm really sorry that your beauty your outer beauty has been taken away but beauty truly comes from within from the inside so I want to help them like reconnect with their inner beauty as well and is there a specific reason any story in your life that links you to those acid attack victims um not really acid attack victims in specific but just plastic reconstructive surgery in general uh because my father was a reconstructive surgeon before he passed away so Oh, yeah. Rest, man, he rest in peace. Thank like, you. Um, when did that take place? Um, in 2005. So I was three. Three. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 19. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, how did how did that kind of affect? Were you were you raised by a single mother then? Yes, I was. Yeah. You met my mother. She's amazing. She's an OBGYN um, now in public health. So. Yeah, it was pretty hard because she had just newly like immigrated to the U.S. as well. Like it was like her third or fourth year living in the U.S. And then her husband passed. All of her family was back home. So it was like kind of a struggle for her. Um, People were telling her to give up. They were saying like a lot of our family members were saying like go back to Pakistan. Like what's here in America for you? But my mom wanted me to have like a way better life than she did. So it's uh, it's been an interesting journey. But I do think my father's passing has like heavily impacted like me and my identity. Like it definitely helped me discover like my life's purpose, which is to, you know, perform reconstructive surgeries, um, especially on like cleft lip and palate children, because that's what my father used to do. So I actually team up with a bunch of organizations that focus on that. So hmm. so you, you just want to you're interested in medical school and you, and you just want to utilize that education to help others specifically from the region that you come from correct and let's talk about arranged marriages for a second because i'm tired of here's the thing for for white people for example if their mom sets them up with a person that's a blind date Mm -hmm. but if my mom sent me up with a person that's an arranged marriage you know how irritating that is like i was i was showing my uh i was showing my friend who's actually going to be coming now um i was like hey look at this girl what do you think for i might i might message her on instagram and he was like, oh, so you're going to have an arranged marriage. I'm like, how is that an arranged <laughs> marriage? Like, how is that different than what you're doing? Uh, it, it, I don't get it. There's a stereotype on us. And for some reason, white people and I guess non-Muslim people in general take Pakistan and India and Bangladesh and, and the entire Middle East and they cultivate into one thing, like one culture, one mm-hmm. being. And all of us are getting arranged marriage and all of us are being forced into our marriages it's so weird. and I've seen it. I've, I've been hearing it and seeing it more and more lately. Like even friends that are close to me don't know that there's a difference between Pakistan and Egypt, for example, like when it comes to culture. Mm-hmm. I'm like what? Makes no, this makes no sense to me. So I think that there's this 
I think in the Western world, there's this misconception that arranged marriages like automatically equal forced marriages, which is not the case. Um, I know a lot of my um, non-Muslim friends have come to me asking like, oh, like were your parents an arranged marriage or a forced marriage? And what they don't know is that forced marriages are actually haram, meaning it's not allowed in Islam. Um, there has to be consent from both parties. So I do agree with like what you said, like this whole idea that um, the Middle East and like all of Central and South Asia have like this perception of all their cultures to be like lumped together when it's not true. And um, yeah, like arranged marriages are common, but they're not necessarily like a bad thing um, as long as they're not forced and there's two consenting parties. Yeah. And man, this is why I wish Brady was here right now. I mean, we could we we'd look at the statistics, arranged marriages survive or not survive, play out better. Than, than love marriages, quote unquote, mm, yeah. because and it's it doesn't even make sense because once you're arranged married, right, which is basically you being set up with someone, you going on a blind blind date, uh, then from there you're starting to love them as you're getting as you're getting to know them, mm-hmm. as well as maybe even starting to get engaged, thinking about getting engaged or thinking about getting married. That's way different than if you started loving someone beforehand. And then already having sex with them, already talking to them, and then getting married. It's like, well, what did you gain by marriage Mm -hmm. other than commitment, money, and all the bad things that Americans associate with marriage? So I I don't agree with it. It it just irritates me. It's been on my mind lately. That's that's how I brought it up. Mm -hmm. But I I saw that acid victim, so I probably knew there there was an association between the two. Perfect. Yeah, well, get get in here. I would love for you to put, search this up for me right now. What's up? This is Brady, by the way. This is Mariam. Hi, nice to meet you. Um, hey, can you search up for me? And this, you know what? You missed this part. Of this. this would have been an educational part for you. Can you search up for me? Um, open up Google and search up. How can we even say this? Arranged marriage success rate versus love marriage. Yeah, versus Leah, yeah, it's right there. Mar- arranged marriage versus love marriage success rate. Yeah. <laughs> what? See, look at that. In <laughs> Pakistan. Like, what? Yeah, right there. Right there. The divorce rate for arranged marriages is 4%. While in America, it's 40 to 50%. Wait, I have something to add. So while I was at the pageant, during my interview round, they actually asked me why I think divorce rates are increasing in Pakistan. And I actually answered this um, after doing just a little bit of like uh, making some inferences and whatnot. So I believe that the reason divorced uh, divorce rates are increasing in Pakistan might just be because of like social media. And um, I think with the like popularization of social media we kind of like have each other at our fingertips and i'm sure you're familiar there are all these new apps and stuff that kind of make it easier for talking to you know others of the opposite sex or maybe even like cheating but like you know there's like um minder minder um there's like dill mill and whatnot so that was just something i talked about during my interview round that i thought was interesting yeah you're you're so right and it's also because they're starting to people in pakistan and india are starting to date people in egypt are starting to date people in the middle east lo and behold i don't know america westerners don't know this well the east is actually starting to adopt a lot of your culture they want to be european they want to be americanized and to them that means 
I'm going to start dating. And that's probably hiking up the divorce rates also, mm -hmm. because once you start loving multiple partners, then there's a lot of comparisons mm -hmm. you make, right? Like if I'm going to get with a woman, uh, uh, let me disassociate myself from this. If you're going to get with someone uh, and try to marry them and you have like 15 to 20 people you've been with beforehand, you're going to inadvertently or consciously or subconsciously start comparing them to those 15 to 20 people, unless you're a good person and you've changed and stuff like that. But it's very hard not to because if 15 to 20 people, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. And this one person has strengths and weaknesses and you're comparing all the strengths mm -hmm. to all the weaknesses and vice versa. I think that plays a role, too. And I think also like back in the day, divorce was just like kind of taboo to like talk about or suggest. Like I know the older generations, like for the sake of keeping the family together, they don't really want to divorce because then like who would the kids live with and whatnot. But um, I know nowadays like more and more people are divorcing and that's not necessarily like a bad thing. Like, yeah, it has its like tolls. But like when you look at Islam, Islam gives the woman the right to divorce if she wants to. So, Islam was one of the first yeah. ideologies to give women the right to divorce. Mm -hmm. And we actually, like, once the prophet, peace be upon him, um, a woman came up to him and she said, I'd like to get divorced to my man. And he asked her why. And she said, I'm just not attracted to mm -hmm. him. And he, he said, well, will you at least give him the the money that he gave you, you know, that mahr or whatever it is? Uh, and she said, yeah, sure. And that was it. Got divorced. It was 1,400 years ago. A lady got divorced to her man. Because she just didn't like the way he looked. And now we're sitting here making a huge deal out of divorce and throwing acid at each other. I, well, okay, well, we're not going to say that Muslims do that on a level. I, I don't even think that's even specific to Pakistan. Like no, you, no, it happens in India. It happens in Russia. It, ha it happens in America. It happens in America. Yeah. You just It just comes in different mm -hmm. forms, like key your car or burn your car, yeah. or burn your clothes. I guess I'd rather that than burn myself, but mm. nonetheless. And I see you... Um, I know a couple people that you know, um, and they're non-Muslim, right? I'm going to talk about it now. I'll talk about it later. But uh, I've, I've been struggling with that, right? Which is that I don't have many Muslims around me. I'm, I mostly have non-Muslims around me. Okay. Um, and thankfully, the non-Muslims that are around me are very willing to hear my thoughts and my experiences, and, and they're very supportive of, of my identity. So that's good. But at the same time, I could, I could see how it's very difficult for other Muslims and even for myself uh, to remain kind of in the Muslim mentality while my environment is, is primarily non-Muslim. How have you been dealing with that? So uh, as I told you, for like fifth through eighth grade, I went to a private Catholic school. Um, and like that was a nice experience. Like I love learning about other religions. Uh, but my mom was like, OK, maybe I should start sending you to Sunday school, Sunday Islamic school, so you can just learn more about your religion. And so I started attending. But I was like, as I said before, I was a kid. So like when you're a kid, you don't really have interest in anything. Um, it's not she didn't force me to learn, but she kind of like su strongly suggested. And you know how like when you're a child, you kind of like want to rebel. You're like, oh, I don't care. I don't want to wake up early every Sunday morning and, you know, go to Sunday school like I have homework to do. But um, I would say like around high school, I actually discovered religion on my own. Like I discovered Islam by myself with like no one telling me to do so. And I actually like fell in love with the religion and started practicing more. What, were you in public school at this point? Uh, in high school. Yeah. Okay. And what what made you start looking into Islam? Um, honestly, I don't really remember. Maybe like seeing stuff on the news. Um, 
watching TV. I would watch a lot of shows like about like crime and there's always like episodes that like talk about like Muslims or like Pakistan and you know in specifics um so I would say that kind of like motivated me to like actually do like my own research and see like what these like bold claims are talking about and you having a Catholic knowledge background in many ways how did how did Islam I guess win in in the theological sense so I mean, the only reason I went to Catholic schools because it was like the best private school in the area. Like my mom was going to Hopkins. So we had to move to Canton, which is like in Baltimore City, like near like the Inner Harbor. So she like didn't want to put me in public school. So she put me in like the private school. And I would say like, I found that there were a lot of similarities between Christianity and Islam. And so I guess there were like things in Islam that stuck out to me more um than things that were like in christianity or catholicism do you remember what those were yeah so um i always wondered like the difference between the new testament and the old testament and like why there were like two main books as opposed to like how in islam you just have the quran and we're told like there's only one like main book and um it's never been changed in like the several years that it's been out like in the 1400 plus years yeah, I mean, one of them, the Old Testament's the Torah, and the New Testament is, like, the Bible where Jesus mm-hmm. is introduced. Um, but so so I'm guessing it was the theology, the, yeah. the, the fact that uh, you believe in one God and one God only really mm-hmm. resonated with you more than a trinity or a son of God or any of that kind of stuff. Okay. Uh, and so what kind of start now, now that you've kind of, all right, I'm Muslim, you, you figure that out on your own. Now the struggles begin. Like, now you got to find out, all right, well, there's a lot of drinking around me. There's a lot of smoking around me. There's a lot of dating around me. There's a lot of lot around me, right? Um, So how did you navigate through that? Now that you know you're Muslim, I want to remain Muslim. I know I'm Pakistani. I I want to be and proud of being Pakistani. Um, Now navigating through your life. One thing that helps me like, you know, like abstain or like refrain from all of that is to understand why it's like haram or like not permissible, like why things are not allowed. I feel like when you know the reason, like being told not to do something, like no one's gonna, like very few people actually follow through unless they know why. So for example, in Islam, um, I remember I would attend like conventions and they would talk about like why we can't drink, why we can't smoke or why we can't engage in like zina or like premarital sex and all that. So I think definitely knowing why helps like strengthen your self-concept as well. Yeah, and what's crazy is, is you find out why real quick, right? Like yeah. you find out exactly the why. The hard way. You yeah. find out the hard way. And you look at everyone who's either trying to get into that lifestyle uh, of pushing away Islam, pushing away uh, their culture, and you're just like, don't do it. Like, do not do it. This is, you know, like a guy I had on before and a man I had on uh, a couple weeks ago. He said it so well. This is like a, all of these things are like a hook. They're easy to insert into the skin or into your mouth, mm-hmm. but trying to pull it out, there's a lot of pain and tearing that comes with it. And I, I've, I, you know, you know what else helps me too uh, is m- once you gain a relationship with, with Allah, with God, at a certain level, uh, you start being embarrassed to do some of the things you do. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I'll be so embarrassed knowing that God is seeing me, and yeah. I've been talking to Him for weeks mm-hmm. and having conversations, and He's been helping me, and now I'm gonna just go against them and start drinking that that makes me uncomfortable too so it's like the knowledge of the sight of god and knowing why not to do it 
and I guess having long-term thinking. That kind of reminds me how like one day I was talking with my um, non-Muslim friend and we were talking about, I don't remember what we were talking about, but I remember we were talking about some people I knew that were drinking, they were Muslims. And she interrupted me and she's like, oh, okay, cool. They're progressive Muslims. And I was like, why is this idea of drinking associated with like progression? Like, I, I believe we were talking about a country as well, like how some Islamic countries have drinking like illegal. Um, and I was just talking about like, why does drinking make you more progressive? And I just thought about like all the instances where I've told people like, no, I don't want to drink tonight. Like, especially like they're like, oh, like, oh, because it's Ramadan or something. And you're like, no, not because of that. Just because like I'm Muslim, I don't want to. And they'll be like taken aback and almost offended. But for example, if I were a recovering alcoholic and I said like, no, I can't have a drink tonight, I'd be like applauded. You know, like people would clap for me. So I just think it's kind of interesting, like when and where people think it's like appropriate to encourage someone for not drinking. Yeah. And what's what people don't realize is in the United States, the default is that alcohol is not allowed. Like alcohol is illegal and it's states that have to go out of their way to make it legal. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in parts of Virginia and North Carolina, there's something called dry zones where it's still illegal in, in some counties in the United States for you to drink. In the United States, a secular country, it is still illegal for you to drink in some of the places. That's, you know, and people are like looking at us. It's like, what? You have no reason to make it illegal and you're still making it illegal because you see the repercussions. You see why it has been made um, non-permissible in many ways. And you're so right. Like people think, oh, if you're more liberal, if you're more open to everything, alcohol, weed, then you're progressive. Can you search up what progression means, the definition of progression? To me, progression just has more to do with like, for example, if we're talking about a progressive country, it has more to do with like there being justice or maybe just like economically progressing, but it definitely does not have to do with like whether the Muslims in that country drink or not. You know what it is? It's a, it's a very direct statement that I think your religion and your beliefs are wrong. And the more you deviate from them, the more I think you're progressing towards what's right. That's that's all it is right there. Like, okay, Brady, if you go up right there, progression is a very generic term, by the way. It's, it's not a it's not a specific term because it just it means exactly what it says. Happening or developing gradually in stages, proceeding step by step. And what it's saying, what's happening or developing gradually is something good. Like you're progressing in the right direction is usually the, the implication. And you're no longer becoming barbaric. I think that's what my friend had in mind when she was like, oh, they're so they're progressive. Exactly. Yeah. You're no longer backwards. Yeah. This backwards religion of yours yeah. that, that doesn't <laughs> let you get get drunk and go out and party and mm-hmm. and have sex. It's, you know, what's funny is like even when you say that, you know, Dan Bolzerian. No, you know Dan Bolzerian, right? Can you search up Dan? Let's show her. Let's show her who Dan Bolzerian is. This is a guy who all he does, right? He he won a bunch of money. He inherited some money, and he doubled it with um, gambling. He's five nine, very cool. Dan, just that guy, yeah. Uh, and all he does is just bunch of ladies, as you can see, works out just partying drinking all of that you know it's interesting you listen to this man speak on youtube and 
all these other platforms. And when he says something serious, people go, hmm, I'd really like to take this seriously if it wasn't Dan Bolzerian saying it out of his mouth, right? So even non-Muslims, even people who are secular, if they know that you drink and smoke and party and just all about women, they won't take you seriously. They won't respect you. They they won't even, like he, like that guy said in those comments, like, even if you're saying something beautiful, the fact that it's coming out of your mouth. Yeah. You lose, like, credibility, kind of. Yeah. And it's actually interesting that you mention that because, like, I have, like, a few, you know, like, non-Muslim friends. I have, like, several, actually. And I remember there was this guy who's, like, big party type, big player, you know, drinking, um, weed, sex, everything. But, like, excessive. And I remember he was talking about how he wanted to settle down and find a girlfriend that didn't do any of that. And it's like, okay, but, like, you do all of that. So, like, what's wrong with, like, a woman that used to do that or something? And he was like, no, like, I want someone pure, like, innocent and pure. So it's interesting how you mentioned that. Yeah, no. Yeah. that that And I, I hate that about um, kind of the, that's one of the issues that we have in, a, in our society, which is that women are judged upon much differently than men. Like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, she drinks, she smokes, she does all these things. She's bad. But if a guy does it, he's just going through a phase. I'm like, huh? Hmm. Like, oh, she's inherently bad. Uh, For let's go. Let's go to patience real quick. I think my biggest weakness is patience. Oh, yeah. Like I have zero patience and it's been my biggest. It's it's been the thing that's hindered me the most when it comes to my Islamic journey. Right. Is that. I'll go a straight three weeks perfect. I mean, wow. You'd be like, this is the best Muslim ever. Three weeks of just praying five times a day, abstaining from any bad language, listening to anything haram, any bad music or anything like that. I'm on my grind. And then at the three-week mark, four-week mark, doesn't matter. I just start wearing down. I start reminiscing. And I'm like, huh, I really want to go out right now. I really want to see this person or that person. And I just lose it and I fall and I do some high dopamine uh, releasing exercise. And I'm like, let's go. Hmm. And then I feel really bad afterwards. And then I have to start all over again every time, basically. So, yeah, that's what I've been struggling with lately is just trying to be consistent in my pursuit of God. Nowadays, we're kind of groomed to like crave like instant gratification. Like everything is so quick, quick. Like we're super impatient now. And so like. For example, like we have our cell phones. If we want to listen to music, we can listen to music like that. If we want to call someone, if we want to talk to someone, we can call them, text them, and we'll probably get a response like super fast. So like when it comes to like having patience or just remaining consistent in your like um, activities, I think it's just important to like implement a routine as well. Um, but yeah. You know what it is too is like uh, because we're always – having these dopamine releasing devices on us uh and this is why islam is so miraculous right it's god god always tells us if if you're or the prophet peace be upon him he gave us a specific desire uh which is if you're if you're really wanting to have sex outside of marriage right then fast and what's interesting is that scientists now they're saying like if you need to get out get away from your porn addiction or get away from your phone addi- social media addiction you have to have a day one day of the week where you do not use your phone at all and you do not watch porn at all basically they're saying fast if you because then 
that brings your dopamine levels back to normal. Um, and then you can go about the rest of the week with regular dopamine levels. But I think one of the issues with people who smoke weed or who drink or any of that kind of stuff, you get those dopamine levels way up. And then you try to do a regular exercise like brush your teeth or do your homework or study. And your dopamine levels are used to being here and now they're over here. Mm -hmm. You're like, I hate my life. I just want to die. All these things. It's kind of hard balancing that kind of stuff, man. But I don't know. I've been I've been trying. I've been trying to figure out a way to, I guess, stop my, keep myself from doing the the things that I'm not supposed to be doing. But like you're saying, we're always being fed these devices, and and everything around us is so sexualized. I don't know. But okay, let's switch to this real quick. What you 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 were telling me, or I saw a message um, somewhere. I'm not even sure where I read this, but that you would love to, you would hope to represent Muslims in secular spaces. Um, is that what you, I think you were the one that told me that. I don't think I well, said that. Okay. Well, through your pageant, you represented Muslims in secular spaces, right? Yes. Uh, is that something you'd like to continue to do, or is that kind of not a goal of yours? Uh, are you referring to like pageantry in general? Pageantry. I mean, just. Like, um, even when you're a Muslim going to work or a, a Muslim hanging out with non-Muslims, it's just you're, you're a Muslim repre- representing yourself in a, in a secular space. Because a lot of Muslims, not sure if you know this, but only hang out with Muslims or only go to Muslim events in Muslim spaces. But I feel like you and I, um, at least me, I, I go outside of non-Muslim events, non-Muslim spaces, and I'm the only Muslim around many of the times. Uh do you find that to be troubling or difficult? Um, not really. I mean, I kind of prefer to have, like, I don't know, like, I have a set of Muslim friends and I have a set of non-Muslim friends. So I kind of like having the diversity or, like, being, quote-unquote, like, the only, like, Muslim friend in my friend group. Just because, like, you learn a lot from your non-Muslim friends and they'll learn a lot from you. Um, so I kind of like that. And I like being the friend that, you know, people come to when they want, like, more awareness or when they have questions about Islam or, like, Pakistan or anything in, like, that region because, like, I would say I have, like, adequate knowledge. Hmm. Yeah. I, I like that, too. I'm not going to lie. I, li- I like being the Muslim in the room. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely don't. Maybe that's a bad thing. I'm not sure. I, I, I don't necessarily like everyone agreeing with me all the time. But this is actually uh a thing Islam says is that in right? which means that prayer abstain pray because prayer abstains you from the evil and what's forbidden right? I, I think that's what ends up happening is once you start praying I, I think I've told you this before I, I, I'm not sure if you know this but if, if God loves you he actually makes what's bad very difficult to do mm-hmm. uh, and if he doesn't really care or if he's kind of lost hope in you for now um he'll let you succeed in what's bad uh so if if god doesn't like you very much for example quote unquote then if you're drinking he'll let you be the best of drinkers like he'll let you be able to be the best chugger you know those uh beer shotguns he'll let you be so good at those beer shotguns you'll be able to do in 20 seconds um get all the girls uh get into all the clubs and parties um, so he'll let you succeed in, in that avenue. But if God doesn't want you to go down that route, he'll actually start 
you you might get arrested a couple times or you you might find yourself getting beat up in the club for no reason or getting rejected by every girl or boy you know like he actually makes being bad difficult on you um and prayer does the same thing prayer makes being bad difficult on you um I think is what it is too. And I think at times you kind of have to hit rock bottom just for you to like go to the top. Like, you know what I mean? Like you have to realize like, wow, this is like a really bad situation I'm in. Like I'm not happy where I am. Like I need to, you know, change my life up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I would say that what, what happens in those three to four weeks is I start forgetting how unsuccessful I was in those avenues. Like in those three to four weeks, uh, what, what the, kind of the devil does a very good job of doing is i know it's very cliche for for someone to bring up the devil but he plays a big role in this so he makes you forget the bad that came with those actions and he starts making you reminisce over the good Um, and so that's what happens to at least to me it within those three to four weeks is is kind of that thought process yeah i remembered what i wanted to ask you earlier which is anything about islam theologically Right when we were talking about the hijab, um, that you had uh, problems with, or that you struggled to accept. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I wish I like had time to like think about this. There are a few things that I I've watched like videos about, like you know, like the famous Islamic scholars. Um, maybe you're familiar with Numan Ali Khan. Of course. Yeah. I love that guy. <laughs> I watch his videos. Mufti Mank. Yes. Um, yes. Omar Sayman. Yeah, yeah. Can you pull up those guys for us? Uh, well, let's give them a shout out. But yeah, what about what about those awesome dudes? Um, no, I was just saying, like, I'll watch their lectures when I have questions. Um, <laughs> All right. Just wait on it. Just wait on it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, I'm trying to think. Okay. Um, so, but what you're saying is very important. Like, it's not, I, it seems like you think it's frivolous. No, this is, you go to a, you go to a real source. You yeah. go to a scholarly source that is brilliant, that is knowledgeable, and that knows what you do not know. And that's something that the Quran says, فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ in كُنْتُمْ تعلمون, Which means, and ask those of knowledge if you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, okay, keep going. Sorry, I cut you off. Um... Okay, so I have two topics. One's kind of like random. I'll start with the random, like less heavy one. Um, so I have an, a family member in Pakistan. He's like super distant. He doesn't believe that um, dinosaurs ever existed because they're not in the Quran. So like, what what would you say about that? Well, then do sharks exist? Because <laughs> sharks aren't in the Quran. I, so if... If maybe what he's at, okay, let me take his question not literally, or what you're saying not literally. Uh, he's he's at, he's more saying um, that the Quran believing in religion would mean you don't believe in the scientific find. So here here's what I'd say to that, right? The, the Quran would actually say that dinosaurs ex- uh, are true and all this kind of stuff. How I know that? It's very easy. The Quran constantly tells you to dig into the earth. And see how creation began, mm-hmm. right? So right there, God is indi- indicating to you that if you started digging into soil, you will start seeing how other creations before you existed and how they even actually came into existence. That is 
I mean, I could sit there quoting to you more things, mm -hmm. but that's enough right there. Mm -hmm. it's, it's for the Quran itself is telling you, no, go dig into the earth. And, and if someone would have listened to the Quran back then and started digging, one of the first things they would have found are dinosaurs. And they would have found out that dinosaurs are one of the first things for in creation that began. That that right? I don't know. Did that answer that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, any other questions? All no. good. This is all. That's all the questions from my end. Mariam Beg, thank you so much for ha for coming on. Thank you for having me. Is it Mariam Beg? Am yeah. I saying it right? Yeah. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Guys, thank thanks for joining us. Mariam Beg, thanks, Brady. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining. Have a good one.